We are in chapter 25, the chapter of David, Naval, and Abigail. And we left off where David says to Abigail, you're right. It's not worth it for me to wipe out Naval. I accept your arguments. Everything you said made a lot of sense. Thank God you had the courage to come my way and intercept me before me and my men killed a lot of people. And we see David's humility here. He heard Abigail out. He heard what she had to say. And he stopped in his tracks. He was on his way to a bloodbath and he stopped in his tracks, admits that Abigail's right. And in the last verse we read, David tells Abigail to go back home, have no worries. I'm not going to do anything. And she left him a ton of food for David and his men to eat. Let's just catch up where we left off. David says to her, Ali l'shalom l'betecha, go up in peace to your house. And he continues, as you can see, I have hearkened to your voice. So he sends her home and she goes home in verse 36. And when Avigail went to Naval, what was going on in his house? He was having a huge feast. Like the banquet of a king. Well, we knew he was going to have a big party. I mean, David came to him and said, we know it's a Yom Tov for you. He was having a Chagagez, a sheep shearing party. That's the Yom Tov they were talking about. And here it is. And he's in the midst of it. She comes home and this huge party is still going on. The Leftover love. And Naval, he was in high spirits. Leftover, he's feeling good. Vuhushi Kuad mode. And he is extremely drunk. Veloi Girulo Davar Katanogadol. And she told him nothing at all until daybreak. So the verse is like this. Avigail got home. She seemed to want to tell Naval what had happened. She sees he's drunk, out of his mind, and she doesn't tell him. So why didn't she tell him until the next morning? Again, it seems like she was about to, but he was partying and she didn't. So the Malbim says like this. First of all, what was she going to tell him? She was going to tell him, according to the Malbim, that she left the house and she took a whole bunch of food with her. But when she got back and saw that he was drunk, he didn't even notice she left. He didn't even notice there was food missing. So she decided not to say anything because now she had no reason to explain why she left and why she took the food. That's one explanation why she didn't tell him. According to the Dat Mikra, and they bring the commentator Yosef Kaspi, when she came home, she saw Lev Tovalov, that he was in high spirits. And she didn't want to be a downer for him. So according to this, she's a good wife, considering his feelings. He's happy, left over love. He's feeling great. She didn't want to mess up that good mood he was in. Now, Rabbi Kahana takes a totally different direction on this, why she did not tell him. According to the Rav, she wasn't just going to tell him that she left the house and took food. She was intending to rebuke him for his horrible conduct. So now the Rabbi paints the picture here, what's going on. Avigal would tell Lochichet Naval Rasha. Avigal wanted to rebuke Naval. She wanted to tell him what a miracle it was that she saved his, you know what. She wanted to let him know. And maybe if he knew that he was almost dead, if she didn't step in, that if he realized that she saved him and he was as good as dead, Maybe that will cause him to contemplate repentance, to do tshuva. But then she gets home. What does she see? She sees partying. 
She sees Hefgerut, drunks, total abandonment of any restraint. Not realizing that they were on the precipice of death if she didn't step in. They had no idea what almost happened to them. And they're partying. That's what she sees. So she realizes at that point, there's no use in telling him anything. He's not going to listen to any rebuke. That's why she didn't tell him. And the Rav comments how Naval is having a great time. He's having the feast, it says, like a banquet of a king. Yet he was so cheap with David's men, just to show what a miser he is. For David's men, he couldn't give him a piece of bread, but he'll party it up and have a lavish banquet for his needs. And that's why the verse says, he's in high spirits. His heart's feeling good. Everything's for himself, for his enjoyment, for his honor. And that's what Avigail's looking at. She's looking at this disgusting scene and she leaves the room because she doesn't want to take part in this you know, drunken binge. And she also knows what might happen if she hangs around and Naval is feeling good, live tova love. As it says, he's in high spirits. That's similar wording to what Achashverosh wanted to do with Vashti, if you know the story, Lev Tovalov, the same wording. So you have this insinuation of womanizing and she wants to get out of there. Okay, so in any case, she doesn't tell him anything. And what happens next? And in the next morning, which literally means when the wine was out of him, was out of his system, that is when he was sobering up, his wife told him everything. And this is what happened to him. And his heart stopped within him. And he became like a stone. That is, he became lifeless. He went into a coma. So the question is, what happened to him? You could say too much partying. He had an alcohol overdose. But the verse says that he got that way when she told him everything, it wasn't as a result of his drinking, but after she said, when she told him everything, then his heart stopped and he fell into a coma. So why? Why should he become comatose? Because Avigail told him all that had happened. Well, according to Rashi, the Tergum Yonatan and the Radak, they say like this, He went numb like that because he was in shock concerning the gift that she had given to David. That is when she told him that she brought David all this food, he was so cheap, he couldn't bear the thought of it. And that's how he ended up in a comatose state. But commentators like the Abarbanel and the Raubag say it's gotta be more than a material loss that would cause this. It's gotta be something else. So they say that when she told him the whole story, he went into shock because he realized his close escape from David and his men, that was scary to him. He feared they might come back. And all that together brought on this stroke. Anyway, in my opinion, none of these answers are especially convincing. I think Rabbi Kahana, in his commentary, he puts it all together and explains it. I'm going to read it. He says, remember, Naval is an incredibly decadent and arrogant person. And he wants to have control over everything. He wants control over his wife, over his servants. His whole existence is for his own enjoyment and for his own kavod. So when he hears that his wife took his property without asking him and his servants informed on him, remember that servant told Avigail all that happened. So his servants betray him. His wife goes out alone to meet David in the middle of the night and everything is being done behind his back. 
and in his wretched mind, who knows what kind of jealousy that brings out in him. Because we know that the arrogant person is also a person who's always very envious. So he's probably thinking that she slept with David. And he knows that David took a whole bunch of food. And he hears that by a miracle, he's been saved from death. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? Suddenly, Naval, this arrogant man, is in shock because his pride has been destroyed. That's why it says his heart died inside him. All the prestige and honor that he built up in himself, it's been destroyed. And his servants know that his wife is the one who saved him. Everybody knows what's going on. He's become a laughingstock, humiliated. And he's at David's mercy. If David decides to wipe him out, David can wipe him out. And so an arrogant person like Naval, he can't handle that. Now, because of all that has happened here, his bubble has been burst. And that shock and that blow to his ego, that's what caused his physical and mental breakdown. Okay, let's continue in verse 38. Let's see what happened to Naval. And it was after just about 10 days, that the Lord struck Naval and he died. So after getting this stroke and being in a comatose for 10 days, Naval dies. Now the sages chime in here. They notice it says after 10 days. Why does it say 10 days? It reminds us of something. They say it was the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those are the famous the 10 days of repentance during that period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's 10 days. It's during those 10 days where we intensify our prayers, we get ready for Yom Kippur. It's a pretty solemn time when we get really serious about Tikkun Amidot and all the things we have to do to make ourselves better Jews. Those are the 10 days that Naval was laying there between heavens and earth. Now Chazal come up with that idea that it was during the 10 days of Tshuva because the verse says, during the 10 days. So we're talking about 10 particular days. So those are the 10 days he was laying there in comatose. He was laying there like a stone, able to contemplate a situation. Maybe he'll do Tshuva. That's what those 10 days were intended for. So you can say that Hashem was waiting for Naval to repent during those 10 days. The Radak says that's doubtful. It's doubtful that Hashem was giving Naval a reprieve here. The man is laying there. How could he do tshuva? He's a stone. So this was a punishment, not a reprieve, according to the Radak. And Rabbi Kahana says the same thing. And he describes how this punishment works. He says that that was part of his punishment. He's laying there for 10 days. He's paralyzed. But he sees and he understands all that's going on around him. He sees, he hears, he's trapped in his own body. He's got all the material things one can have, but he can't move. What could all this money do for him now? Hashem is teaching him something. This arrogant man has now been brought down. He's been humiliated. He can only be thinking, what is all my wealth worth now? And so Hashem lets Naval ponder that concept for 10 days. Okay, so Naval is dead. Another one of David's enemies bite the dust. We're going to see that's going to happen a lot. And now David's going to get word of this. And that's what it says in verse 39. David ki met Naval. And David heard that Naval had died. And he said, Blessed is the Lord who has ravet rivati, meaning literally he fought my fight and he upheld my honor. And David continues blessing Hashem. He says, Baruch Hashem, that you restrained your servant from any wrongdoing. That is, you brought Avigail my way and she prevented me from carrying out a bloodbath. 
And David continues and says, Bruch Hashem, Sheshiv Hashem Berosho, that has returned the Val's evil upon his own head. That is what he wanted to happen to me, happened to him. So David thanks Hashem because of the Hashkacha Pratit that came his way. The way Hashem orchestrated events that almost immediately following Naval's disrespect of David and his mistreatment of David's men, right after that, he gets struck down. And so that looks good for David. It's great advertising. It shows the people that Hashem's with David. It's good for David's brand. That's what David means when he says, blessed is the Lord that defended my honor. Not that he cares about his own honor, but he needs to get respect from those who have been brainwashed by Saul to think that he's some terrible person. People see that, hey, this David has a Shem on his side. Maybe I won't turn him in. He's got Seat the Shmaya. He's a winner. And because of that, people might be afraid now to help Saul. Maybe they won't run to Saul and inform on David so quickly. Maybe they'll help David more. They'll realize that Hashem's with David because it couldn't just be a coincidence that Naval gets struck down after what he did. And only Naval, not his wife, not his property, just him. David's hoping to learn a lesson that this is what happens to somebody who disrespects David. That's why he thanks Hashem, Sheshiv Hashem Show, that he did to Naval what Naval wanted to do to me. And now at the end of the verse, he says like this, and by the way, Avigal, you want to marry me? No, not exactly like that. It says like this, And then David sent word regarding Avigal, asking her to become his wife. So David's not going to miss this opportunity. He knows she's really special. He surely waited after the Shiva or after the Shloshim. And he wants Avigal to marry him. He knows a woman like this doesn't come around every day. He knows she's a catch. And he's going to take a shot and propose to her. So that's how we ended verse 39. He sent word regarding Avigal to take her for a wife. And now in verse 40, it says, David al And David's servants came to Avigal in Carmel. And they spoke to her and they said, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. So the following question is asked. Already in verse 39, it says that David sent regarding Avigail to take for a wife. And now it says he sent messengers to Avigail to propose for him to take him for a wife. So it seems like it's repeating itself here. That is the end of verse 39 and verse 40 seem to be saying the same thing. So the Datsofrim says that in verse 39, he asked Avigail if she'd agree to marry him. And in verse 40, she agrees to do so. The problem with that is, is that in verse 41, in the next verse after that, that's where she seems to be agreeing to the proposal, not in verse 40. So Rabbi Gahana explains it like this. In verse 39, it doesn't say that David sent Shlichim he sent messengers to Avigail. It says he sent messengers concerning Avigail to take her for a wife. So he wasn't asking her yet. He wasn't sending for Avigail. He sent concerning Avigail. That is, he sent for advisors. He sent for his wise men. And he asked them what they think about him marrying Avigail. What do you think about it? It's a good idea. Is this a good shidduch? After all, it's not so simple. She's used to a life of luxury. And what's he offering her? a life of poverty and danger. So he consulted with his men, Vayishlach David, that's verse 39. That is, he sent for them, not for Avigail. He asked them, does it make sense to propose to her? And then he decides, yes, he's going to ask her. That's verse 40. David's servants come to Avigail and they say that David has sent us to you to take him for a wife. 
Here they're asking her, and in verse 41, she agrees. And let's look at verse 41. How does she agree? It says she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she said, I am your servant, and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. So Avigail bows down to David's messengers. David's not there yet, but we have a concept in Judaism, shluchav shel adam kamoto, that the messengers of the shlichim that a person sends out, they represent that person himself. So when Avigail bows down to David's men, it's the same as bowing down to David himself. So think about this for a second. Think what Avigail has given up, all that luxury. She's got her own servants. She's got all the material wealth anybody would want. And she exchanges it here for what? For a teul in the desert. She's willing to live a life of poverty and difficulty because she knows David is somebody special. But she's also very wise. And with a lot of emuna, she knows that one day David will get to the malchut. But that's not why she's marrying him. She knows that he's somebody special. And concerning this, Rabbi Kahana has an unexpected commentary here. Given the fact that Avigal prefers a life of poverty over wealth because she found somebody on her level intellectually, somebody who will give her sipuk nafshi, someone who, let's say, is her spiritual equal, she's willing to give it all up for that. For a man like David, the Rab learns like this, Gamayom, and today as well, We should also worry for those Jewish women who are very intelligent. Those high caliber Jewish women, don't just throw it to some guy who is yeshiva bacher, and he might not be on a high level. If she's high caliber, give her a guy who's high caliber. Don't just throw people together. Because if she's not spiritually satisfied or intellectually satisfied, then this marriage could end tragically. So the Rav is apparently referring to a phenomenon in the Jewish world that the Shatchanim, the matchmakers, they kind of throw people together. They don't look at the girl's spiritual, intellectual capacity. They don't take that into consideration and they'll set them up with some guy who's not on their level and that's not a good idea. You gotta think about those things when you're matchmaking. Anyway, that was an interesting peek into the matchmaking world of religious Jews. Okay, so Avigail says yes to David's marriage proposal and now she's gonna go out to join him. And it says like this, Vitamaher, and she hurried, no time to waste. Vitakam Avigail, and Avigail arose, Viterkav Alechamor, and she mounted the donkey, Vichamesh Narotea, and five of her girl servants, that is, five maidens, went along with her. And she followed David's messengers and became David's wife. So we see that Avigail, unlike her husband, she's got servants who are loyal to her love her and they also leave everything behind they go out with her maybe they'll find for themselves also a shidduch amongst david's men who knows and so that's it david and avigail live happily ever after well kind of okay we're going to finish the chapter now with the final two verses and david took achinoam from israel and they both became his wives so suddenly we get another woman on the scene. Her name is Achinoam. We see that while David was in the Judean desert running from Saul, he managed to marry a woman named Achinoam. So we knew David had married Michal, Saul's daughter. And now we see he married Avigail in our chapter. 
And the verses are telling us that, by the way, he also took a woman named Achinoam from Yisraela. Okay, now listen to the final verse. For Shaul Natanet Michal Bito, Eshet David Lepalti Ben Laish, Asher Migalim. And in the meantime, if we're going to talk about David's wives, well, what happened to Michal? It says that Saul gave his daughter, that's Michal, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galilee. Whoa, wait a minute. Is Michal married to David? Saul could just give her away? So what's going on here? What, Saul sees that David is marrying other women, so he's going to give Michal his daughter to another man? I mean, that's adultery. If she's married to David, this can't be. Something is going on. And we're going to look at that in our next shiur.